0: Hello, and welcome to this FRDH First Rough Draft of History podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. Apologies for the gap between podcasts. I've been working on a multi part series for BBC Radio. Hopefully, in the coming weeks, FRDH will be coming to you more regularly. The big news story this week in Anglo-America was the resignation of Britain's ambassador to the U.S., Kim Darroch, following the leaking of private diplomatic communications in which he described Donald Trump as incompetent and his administration as uniquely dysfunctional. In the sweep of history of which this podcast is part of the first rough draft, Sir Kim's resignation will count for little, But it's a good reason to speak with Bronwyn Maddox, head of the Institute for Government think tank in London. In a 20-year career as a journalist, Maddox has covered politics, government, business, and international affairs in London and Washington for the Financial Times and the Times of London, as well as editing Prospect magazine. She has a particular understanding of the role of top diplomats in US-UK relations.
1: I think it's a great pity that Kim Derrick resigned. It came about because he didn't get support from the person who's most likely to be the next Prime Minister of the UK, that's Boris Johnson. And in a way that said, look, you may be a civil servant, a public servant doing your absolute best, but weighed against other considerations, very political considerations, well, that doesn't count for very much. There had been the factor that President Trump had waded in and with a a big handful of tweets started uh, showering insults on Kim Darroch and indeed Theresa May uh, and said that Kim Darroch was a pompous fool and that the U.S. administration wouldn't deal with him anymore. And he began to be disinvited uh, immediately from various White House meetings that uh, were due in the next couple of days. And so there was a question about whether the British ambassador could continue to do his job. I think, though, that Britain could have toughed it out. And in any case, this this is all the distraction from the principle of whether the British government is prepared to stand by the neutral public servants who give it advice. And that has been the tradition, but it's one that Boris Johnson departed from, and that is a big part of the reason why Kim Derrick left
0: you cannot underestimate how important this idea of political neutrality is amongst those who reach the upper echelons of the British civil service. It's not quite the same in America.
1: In Britain, and really going back uh, along more than a century, this is an absolute foundation of the, really the whole civil service, and this is more extensive than in the US, where there are more political appointments in key jobs, and the ambassador posts would be would be among those Um, in the UK many more of those are are held by the neutral civil service now you can put arguments either way you could say for example in favor of the American model the president really needs someone in some of these key jobs who absolutely uh, understands what he wants and shares that and is if you like more of an advocate than a neutral commentator but that hasn't been the the Britain's model. Britain has very much regarded as the jewel in the crown of its government. This idea of the absolutely impartial civil service, who responds to whatever the government of the day wants, and simply tries to give its best advice, which may include giving uncomfortable advice, um, and it doesn't. Uh, you don't throw out those people when uh, when the winds change, and. There's a lot of nervousness in the UK about moving to something that is more politicised.
0: That is now under threat by Brexit.
1: I think Brexit has been very damaging in itself because that has been under Theresa May's government, a lack of clear political leadership and agreed direction. And so the civil service was having to put forward its views about the best direction, knowing that it was bound to offend one tribe or the other in this very, very heated debate. And when Theresa May said, look, here's two impossible things, can you bridge the gap between them? It was having to put forward technical solutions that might not have been entirely plausible. So I think the civil service has taken a lot of heat because of Brexit. And it, it really the morale, because of the Kim Darroch affair, the sense that political masters are not going to stand up or respect the principles of the civil service, the morale has really taken quite a battering too.
0: I wonder if the increasing politicization of the civil service is just one more sign of the increasing Americanization of British public life.
1: I wouldn't call it so much an Americanization, but an approach to media and communication um, much more direct by politicians. I mean, British politicians have, have tended to feel very, very different. The atmosphere of British politics very different to what you get in America. I've followed a lot of uh, American politicians and would-be politicians who are really good at those essential extrovert techniques of walking into a factory or kindergarten, talking to, to everyone, very open, friendly way, and saying very quickly, this is what I'm about. British party politics is based on the party, and you need, if you're going to get on in it, you've got to climb up within that party, and it's much more sort of internal, introverted skills not really directed as much towards the public at least that's the way it's been and then people emerge at the top of the the party and so then they're, they're, they become the candidate for prime minister if the party overall is going to is going to win election um it's really it been a different set of skills suddenly you're getting because of social media because of, of just the way everyone projects themselves these days a demand for politicians to be much better at communicating directly with the public getting rid of Um, uh, mediators like the media, uh, just talking directly on Twitter or whatever, and separating themselves a bit from their party. And I think this could have really huge consequences for the British party political system. I mean, we've seen in Brexit, the parties beginning almost to fall apart. Politicians making up MPs, making up their own view about what they think on Brexit. And 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 not really caring what the party party leadership tells them to do about it. So you can see, I think, parties beginning to come apart, and that could begin to look something much more like an American system. You can see the unease at the idea that the next prime minister is going to be picked simply by the 160,000 members of the Conservative Party, not by the whole country. And so a sort of democratic incredulity at this manifestation of the party system, saying, well, wait a minute, shouldn't the whole country pick, pick this person? So I think things are changing, but that is as much a consequence of uh, social media and of sort of individual views and the strength of those as anything really American.
0: One area of British official life that is yet to be politicised is ambassadorial appointments to Washington. Kim Darroch was a career diplomat in the Foreign Office. It's not the same going the other way. In the 35 years I've lived in London, only one American ambassador was a career diplomat, Raymond Seitz. The other ambassadors were friends and campaign contributors to the incoming president. I profiled Seitz for NPR 25 years ago, and he told me that the job wasn't as important as it once was. The role of American ambassador to the court of St. James the official title, had changed. Modern communications meant that presidents and prime ministers could have regular conversations by phone and by teleconference. Beyond that, the two countries' elites had grown together. On their upward career paths, American and British high flyers meet doing graduate studies at places like Harvard and Oxford or as visiting fellows in the prominent think tanks of Washington and London. They also maintain regular contact, so the task of providing analysis to the respective governments is less part of the ambassador's job.
1: Yeah, you get many ambassadors saying it's not everything the outside world thinks it is. Uh, there's an awful lot of hosting receptions with, you know, business delegations and you're a kind of uh, hostel for ministers coming through um, or, you know, great parties coming through and you've got to, you've got to look after all those. And Yes, in these days of great communications you don't have um, the clout that you would, the the, the claim to special inside knowledge uh, of a country that no one else can get back home. On the other hand, when you've had ambassadors who are weak, I'm thinking of the US ambassador at the time of the Iraq invasion, quite a lot of commentary. This chap wasn't very comfortable on the radio for a start, uh, on the key political programmes. And I remember one U.S. commentator in London saying, it takes you some time to realise what the absence of something amounts to, but it really does matter that there is not a U.S. voice of the U.S. government on the airwaves saying why we've done what we've done. And I think that is right, that uh, even though people these days, it's, 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 it's fashionable and accurate to say the ambassador's job doesn't always amount to that much. If you have a bad one, or you don't have one at all, that really matters.
0: And finally, while I had the opportunity, I wondered what Bronwyn Maddox thought would happen with Brexit three years after the referendum, and with no agreement in sight.
1: The chances of a no-deal Brexit have gone up very sharply. We've got a battle looming between the the executive and Parliament, and Parliament is um, really beginning to find its voice after a very slow start. And I think parliament and various individual MPs have said look we will vote down the government even though we're we're of the same party if they don't allow parliament to have its voice so you've got that shaping up if we do indeed have a no-deal Brexit I think we're also going to be straight into a question about Scottish independence and about Northern Ireland having a border poll on reunification with the Republic of Ireland and so about the breakup of, of the UK And those things feel abstract right at the moment, but six months from now, they may not.
0: And that's all for this FRDH podcast. There's more, lots more at the website, www.goldfarbpod.com. Please visit, and while you're there, make a donation to keep the podcasts coming. Thanks.